Hello, everyone. I'm Patrick. I'm Tony. And uh, we're on a remote location for Cave of the Cross, uh, episode 71. We've, we're almost there. We're almost to the centennial. And, uh, of course, uh, if you're seeing this from the future, hopefully uh, the Death Hornets uh, have uh, not taken us over. And uh, whatever's next, Fredos for June, Alien Invasion... <laughs> Although, you know, Patrick, I read today that they're edible. In fact, they're considered a delicacy in Japan. Well, there, there's there's the end of world hunger. So if you're in the future, <laughs> we, we uh, good luck. Uh, hopefully there's no trade-off there. Uh, but yes, uh, if you're looking at this in the future, uh, the coronavirus has uh, gotten to us, and Tony thinks I have cooties, so uh, we're doing this from <laughs> from our, our respective bat caves. So um, that's where we're at. Uh, and so um, we're going over our book, Finding Truth, by Nancy Piercy. Uh, the subtitle is Five Principles for Unmasking Atheism, Secularism, and Other God Substitutes. And uh, if, if you've watched uh, previous, we, we've gone through three of them. We're on our fourth principle, and... We've had a nice little interview with Nancy Piercy, who was gracious enough to come on and uh, walk through really all, appreciate that. Yeah, all five she's, principles. She's a nice lady. She answered all our crazy questions. And, and she, she was glowing. She said, we're not like other podcasts. So I put that in our ad for her uh, her interview because uh, that was pretty awesome. Um, so, yes, we do. We do read the books, believe it or not. Um, and so uh, we're on uh, principle four. Uh, which is talking about um, um, kind of testing the worldview internally, but uh, covering covering the basis for the first uh, uh, three before that, uh, we had identify the idol. Uh, so um, uh, anything that's not uh, the Christian worldview, um, by by its very nature, puts forth a an argumentation um, up instead of God, and so uh, it either puts um, man up or materialism, so that all, all things in the universe are. Uh, only made of matter. That 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 idea. Uh, so your worldview is kind of the 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 lens w- with which you look at everything. So um, uh, Nancy Piercy draws principles from Romans one, um, stating that uh, um, anything that that isn't uh, God centered in your uh, initial outlook on how you view the world uh, ultimately becomes an idol. And then principle two was uh, uh, how it reduces. Um, uh, things uh, m- most uh, most likely uh, people is is uh, the reduction that uh, occurs. Um, although uh, we're going to get today about how even uh, idol worship reduces the very concept of rationality and reason. Um, and then uh, principle three was uh, uh, looking at an, inc- uh, an external critique. Uh, can it uh, can explain what we see about the world? And so uh, bef- that was uh, right before uh, Professor Piercy's interview. So then. We had the interview, and now we're on principle four, which is, uh, it is called? Test the idol. Yeah. It is test the idol. Does it contradict itself? And I always like this part because this is the 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 area in which I think you ask the most questions towards the other side to, to figure out what it is that they're putting forth. And so you can do this with materialists. You can do this with... Uh, postmodernists, you can do this with post-postmodernists, you can do this with any worldview, and, th- and that's the the what she's laying out in this book is instead of having to learn about every single possible worldview uh, uh, idea out there, uh, these are the principles in which we can test and check and see if it uh, explains things in the world or if it explains away things in the world, which is what we saw in the last principle, or if it... Uh, Fails to meet its own standard, its own definition. So that's, I think that's the the fun part where we we get into it here. So, so we have two two identifications and two tests so far. Right, right, yeah, and and um, uh, they they all do kind of uh, blend together, and, and I guess you can transpose some of them around. This isn't a uh, you know two uh, A B C, but definitely an identifying the idol will help you first. Uh, seeing where the reduction is is helpful, but you, I think you could probably uh, switch around um, principles three and four here. Um, and, yeah, I would think so too. And you know, this is this is intended for for conversation purposes, um, and uh, and this isn't um, um, you know uh, a, a checklist that you get through. Uh, this is supposed to be um, uh, conversational based. So. All right, so you, why if you are using it for a checklist, don't say check. Right? <laughs> yeah, check off. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, why why worldviews commit suicide? Ooh, that's that's a provocative title for principle four here. 
Um, and so she starts off uh, w- with what she's been doing, which is uh, to, to tell a, um, uh, a story of, of someone who uh, is highlighting the principle that she's, that she's talking about. Um, she's talking about uh, uh, this uh, scientist who, um, who is a brain surgeon. And so he, he uh, pretty much came to the realization that, uh, that religion, especially Christianity, is congruent with science. So anything that uh, science talks about is going to be right, and anything that that um, that religion talks about, that Christianity talks about, is uh, pretty much just moral tales. It's not it's not anything to kind of hang your hat on with uh, what the universe is like or uh, kind of those bigger questions. So science is what's going to to, to save us in the end. And so he says, so this guy, this guy thought that you know science was it, right? And uh, Christianity was just a bunch of theory. Well, tales to help us with our um, ethics, right? And that live, yeah. live good, and that's sort of right. So yeah, so this is kind of uh, Dawkins' kind of view of uh, helps with survival, and but uh, Darwin and evolution is is kind of what. Uh, reigns supreme here. And so he, he does say Darwinian evolution, which seems to demonstrate that life could be explained perfectly, uh, perfectly well by material mechanisms alone. There was no need to invoke God. Uh, but uh, um, when he went on to study uh, th- things with the brain, um, he, he uh, would try and kind of reverse engineer um, parts of the brain. And so he studied it, uh, these, these, um, these, uh, what is it called? Uh, capillaries, uh, which kind of, uh, uh, act as vibration dampeners. And so, uh, what he used, uh, ultimately instead of kind of his biology textbooks were actually in engineering textbooks. Well, that seems odd, but you know, okay. It's a, it's a mechanism. You can kind of, um, uh, you know, think of the brain as a, kind of a computer, uh, uh, without, uh, without thinking that humans are computers, but, um, he says, uh, and what do engineers do? Oh, well, of course they design things. And so this got him to start thinking that, uh, well, m- maybe it's not just uh, random processes that, uh, that uh, speak for how life became to be and continues on. Uh, maybe uh, with engineering, uh, it, it may point to a design, or at least it operates. So this, this uh, biological research operates on the presumption of design. For example, a standard procedure in biology is called reverse engineering, and then that's what he um, essentially tried to do to, to work out um, uh, his brain surgery uh, Yeah, by the way, we should say that the um, person she's referring to is Michael Ignore, I believe is how he pronounce his last name, who uh, eventually became a professor and vice president of neurosurgery at uh, State University of New York in Sony. Yeah, so a sharp guy. Yeah. Uh, Philosopher Michael Roos uh, himself and Darwin says biology unavoidably relies on design type thinking. So uh, if if something doesn't work in nature, uh, scientists and uh, doctors and uh, chemists are, are always saying, huh, well, that's not how it should be because there's this presumption of design, of order, of structure. Uh, so if, if you're, if you're um, uh, testing a, 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 a base and it's, it reads as acidic, well, you go, huh, well, the, the, the chemical process of the universe, uh, because it's constantly in change, has all of a sudden, uh, you know, uh, 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 evolved. And, and now we, we have to rethink about uh, the structure of the universe. They go, well, no, that's what it was like yesterday. That's what we should expect today. Um, however, in a uh, random chance universe with everything in constant flux, uh, why, why have anything that's uh, that's that's ordered or designed or expected. And so, um, uh, biology, um, has this, this reliance on design type thinking. We treat organisms, uh, the the parts at least as if they were manufactured, as if they were designed and then try to work out their functions. uh, The philosopher Roos writes and directed thinking, theological thinking is appropriate in biology because, and only because organisms seems as if they are manufactured and as if they have been created by an intelligence and put to work. And so in, in the book, uh, she italicizes the as if. Uh, those are big standout points of, uh, of flashing warnings to, to, to hone in on. And so we saw in principle three, the phase as if signals cognitive dissonance. So that, that, that holding, holding two thoughts at the same time that uh, compete against each other. Um, we saw this. Yeah, yeah. Um, 1984 kind of toins it with the double think uh, um, uh, terminology. Um, and so, you know, the... 
uh, we're at war with Eurasia. We've always been at war with Eurasia, uh, even though you might think that uh, we weren't, but we are now. And so that's what the that's what you're you're forced to uh, subscribe to, or um, your entire uh, foundation collapses. And so that's what we want to hone in on. We want to collapse the foundation. Uh, so he goes on to, to uh, the, the uh, Ignore's work. He's, he goes on to say, I was surprised by how little Darwinian paradigm contributed to my work. By contrast, the design paradigm aligned nicely with the most important aspects of my research. When theory and facts contradict one another, which one would he follow? And so we, we saw this, uh, and, and we'll see this throughout uh, this chapter too, um, of Mitch Stokes's book that we went over and how hard it is to give up a theory, even though uh, we might see uh, facts kind of go against it. Um, and so all, all that uh, can be searched for on our YouTube page as well for, for those short clips. Uh, he goes on to say that Darwinian process may explain some patterns and change in gene frequency in populations, of course, but the evidence does not even remotely support the claim that change and necess necessity uh, fully accounts for the... Chance, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, chance. Chance and necessity fully account for the appearance of complex design in living things. And so uh, we have uh, people... So, so like notice what he's doing here is he's, he's positing two potential explanations for what we're looking at here, right? One of them is it happened by chance. The other is it's just necessary. So, for instance, you know, two plus two is just necessarily four because that's just the way things work. <laughs> or, or, you know, uh, the other uh, explanation is by chance, right? It, it just happens, right? Uh, that I flipped the coin, it uh, by chance hit, uh, heads came up. So those are two possible explanations for what we observe when we're considering, uh, you know, uh, the universe, the earth, the things that we're uh, trying to explain. Of course, the third one is, um, you know, uh, not chance or necessity, but it's design, right? It's, it's uh, the, the engineering of something to cause something. And usually when we think of design, we think of a person. And so, you know, so those are the three main areas with regard to uh, to ways to explain things: yeah. chance, necessity, or design. Yeah, uh, th there was a video that I posted on our Facebook page for. Uh, let's see here. It was uh, May fifth of twenty twenty. Um, it was a three way. Uh, well, it was a, a three way interview with uh, David Gletmer, uh, David Berlinski, and uh, Stephen C. Meyer. Um, and their critique of kind of uh, um, uh, where science should be heading is an overthrow in this kind of, kind of Darwinian type thinking. And, and th their, their, their conversation is very nuanced. And uh, I mean, David Berlinski is, is a great crotchety old philosopher at this time. And, and uh, um, you know, I, I've always appreciated his, his, his openness and his candor with respect to calling out um, issues within the Darwinian theory. And so um, the other David is, 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 has written a book review on Stephen C. Myers' book where he says, you know, essentially that um, these these unguided processes at the at the very beginning of to 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 get us to where we're at are so. And he's a he's a computer um, uh, expert. He's a um, uh, kind of a, uh, not philosophy, but uh, you know, he doesn't just make computers. He's he's talking about theory of of uh, computer technology. He's saying he's looking at his own work that it's so infinitesimally impossible that it's almost like you know you you have your numerator one one over whatever chances he says that that denominator is so outrageously small to even get to you know the next like nucleotide let alone everything and, and the pervasive of, of the cambrian explosion um is is you know insane and we should be reevaluating re uh, uh things just as we did with with marx and uh with with um with Freud. And so it, it's a great, uh, it's a great little hour, um, uh, interview that, uh, that, uh, I found and I really enjoyed the, the talk that they had. Okay. So, uh, uh, back to, uh, ignore. Um, he says, uh, for, if there is no God, then no one is, uh, so, uh he, he, I'm sorry. He's saying that, uh, in fact, uh, it is much more plausible that atheism rather than Christianity is this form of wish fulfillment that Freud, uh, uh warns us about that. Uh, religion is this wish fulfillment that, uh, can be, uh, turned against its own theory. 
However, it looks like atheism could also just have that same type of uh, uh, charge leveled against it. Uh, For there's no God, then no one is watching, then there's no moral accountability, and you can do whatever you want. And so um, he he then uh, as long talks, as you can get away with it, right? <laughs> right? As long as long as you don't get arrested, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, so uh, he goes on to say then that uh, now I see a science as another way to appreciate the beauty of God's creation. I bring science into church with me. Truth is unitary, and so that's exactly what we're saying too. Uh, that that uh, that our foundation uh, foundational belief, as Roman one tells us, that um, that God exists. And that he's a creator, and he has certain qualities that are uh, that are um, uh, recognized by by all creation. And from there, we should uh, have things like uh, understanding that there's order in the universe. Or we can even backwards walk it, like the classical theorists do, and say there's order, uh, there's there's reason, there's intelligibility, there's um, you know moral standings, moral absolutes, and that should point to uh, the existence of God. Uh, it's they're not they're not uh, uh, competing with one in, uh, one another. Uh, Christianity, the Christian worldview, is saying that they run in parallel with each other because of uh, you know we would say the, uh, reason is how God thinks, math is you know how how God operates in the world. Um, the, the 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 fact that there are miracles, the fact that we can see um, uh, God enter into His creation isn't isn't anything different than you or I entering uh, new code into. Uh, a computer program to, to get a, a different output than what would normally be expected. Uh, so what she wants to do here is kind of hone in on this um, uh, number four here, this principle number four. And uh, she talks, this next section is entitled Tests for Truth. And um, she says that Ignore's story illustrates the two major ways to test a philosophy or worldview, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So the first one is, does it fit the facts? And that's what we looked at in chapter three, right? Does it fit the facts? Does the worldview, does the philosophy fit the facts, the world as, as um, you know, as it, 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 uh, it uh, presents itself to us, right? And of course, you know, um, uh, it's, it's pretty difficult to avoid that, right? In other words, if there's a wall there, and I don't believe it's a wall there, and I take off running, right? And I think I've given this illustration before, I'll I'll hit the wall. So my theory that there's no wall there doesn't fit the facts, and in that instance, I pay for it, right? Right. So first, does it fit the facts? And secondly, is it logically consistent? Is it logically consistent? So she says, these are the same questions raised, excuse me, in testing any data, whether it's in a science lab, a court, uh, asking a friend why, you know, they're late. Does the explanation match what we know about the world, principle three, and does the explanation hold together logically? She said, these are the two ways that we test the philosophy. Right. Right. So, so, so speak to that second point and you're using your wall illustration, uh, by saying there's no wall there and you point to it, uh, you can kind of internally critique it and say, well, what are you pointing at if you don't, you know, what are you referring to if you don't believe there's a wall there? You could say something like, I believe that wall is fake or, uh, you know, the, 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 there are, there are, there's a there's projection nothing there. there. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. But, uh, but to, to say there's no wall there, uh, that's where we can kind of start critiquing internally that person's point of view. First of all, right. uh, okay, well, let's explain this wall thing first before you start getting running speed. And what are you referring to if, if you're, if, you know, it's that philosophy joke of, of the professor uh, gives people at the end of the class to, to say, prove that this chair doesn't exist. And the, the one guy gets up after, you know, three seconds, writes on a piece of paper, turns it in, and he writes down, what chair? And he walks out, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, so does it, uh, does it fit the facts? Does the theory fit the facts? Does the worldview fit the facts? And is it logically consistent, right? She says, internal contradictions are fatal, to any worldview because contradictory statements are necessarily false, right? The circle of square is contradictory, so it's necessarily false, right? And uh, scripture, she points out, assumes that, the log- that logical contradictions cannot be true, right? No liars of the truth, 1 John 2-2. Uh, mm-hmm. God never lies, Titus 1-2, uh, right? So... An especially damaging form of contradiction, she points out, is self-referential, uh, self-referential absurdity, which means a, a theory sets up a definition of truth that itself uh, 
fails to meet. So here's the definition of truth. The theory says this is what truth is all about, but the theory doesn't meet that definition of truth. And so it's, um, it refutes itself, basically, is what she's getting at here. And, and, you know, and she, she points out a couple of illustrations here. She talks about, you probably heard the argument from self-reference of absurdity. Um, when relativists say something like, there are no absolute, there are, abs-, you know, you ask them, is that, you know, is that absolutely true, right? right? Or the skeptic who says, um, we can't know anything for sure. Uh, of course, we would ask, do you know that for sure, right? And so in each of these cases, the critic is, turning the claim back on itself to show that it undercuts itself, that is, it is self-refuting, right? Uh, she points out that uh, apologist Greg Coco calls this um, um, saying that the philosophy commits suicide, right? In other words, he uses a graphic illustration. It kills itself, it slits its own throat, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, um, you know, and she mentions that sometimes people, you know, dismiss this as a rhetorical trick. But, you know, again, it's not. It's a logical necessity, Mm -hmm. right? If it doesn't fit, right, uh, uh, then uh, if it doesn't cohere, if it doesn't, if all the statements of the theory, that sort of thing, aren't, you know, can't fit together without contradicting one another, that's a good indication that you have serious problems with the things that you're you're doing. Right. she says, in fact, we discovered that virtually all idol-based worldviews are self-refuting. Right? Why? Because they're reductionistic. And so, you know, if you reduce uh, particularly the human mind down to, let's say, physical processes only, then you leave out rationality and reason. And now, you know, how can you reason about the mind, if you if it's only a physical process and there is no reason, mm-hmm. right? So you know, so she's 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 making this point that reduction is is the reason why um, worldviews um, have problems with regard to uh, logical consistency. But of course, she raises the question uh, as soon as uh, Christians raise the problem of, of contradictions, we likely get pushback from people claiming that Christianity itself contradicts, right? They, to the doctrine of the Trinity, right? <laughs> or Jesus' statements like, uh, you must lose your life in order to save it. She says, but these are not genuine um, logical contradictions, right? In logic, the law of non-contradiction states that two antithetical propositions cannot both be true at the same time and in the same sense. And so, you know, biblical theology does not say that God is one in the same sense that God is, you know, um, three. Mm-hmm. So there's no contradiction, right? We have God as person and God as essence. They're two different senses of the words with regard to the numbers is what she's suggesting. And of course, Jesus, she says, was using paradoxical language to, to make his point. More to the point, she says, Christianity is not self-referentially, uh, self-referentially absurd because it's not reductionistic regarding human reason. It's not self-refuting. It doesn't commit suicide, right? So again, the problem with these worldviews, especially things like naturalism, is when reductionism, reductionism is applied to the human mind, it reduces reason to something less than reason. Right. And uh, is that our ideas in our mind are products of natural selection, Darwin, or in economic conditions, Marxes, or electrochemical responses, the brain, contemporary neuroscience. Yet the only way a worldview can build its own case is by using reason. And so she points out this, this inherent contradiction right. as a result of worldviews reductions. Right. Because if you're not using reason, you're not putting forth anything. And so the, there's no conversation uh, uh, by definition being had, you know, if, if, if you're trying to say, well, that wall doesn't exist, you're using, even though it may be flawed reason to try and convince me that that exists. We're having a conversation and, and, uh, you, you know, you're, you're saying, uh, something like, uh, you can't trust your senses. So that you're, 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 you're putting forth, uh, um, a, a argumentation you're using reason. And I'll say, you know, well, uh, what are you referring to? Well, look at it. See right there. You can't trust your senses. Well, okay. But I'm, I'm looking at it. I'm, I'm using my, you're telling me to use my senses in order to look at it. So 
Or, or I'm listening, or so you're asking me, or assuming that I'm listening to you. I'm using my senses. There you go. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah. How can I trust what you're saying if I can't trust my senses? <laughs> all, all husbands know the take out the garbage uh, line. I'm sorry. What? Yeah. <laughs> and so she introduces uh, the, the principle for test the idol. Does it contradict itself uh, by looking at um, uh, an extreme form of empiricism? Uh, within a- academia that uh, that had a, a huge overthrow, uh, which was a log- logical positivism. And so uh, this yeah, is... Yeah, so this was huge, especially during the beginning of the 20th century. Yeah. I mean, just huge. Everybody kind of brought into this, bought into this. And, uh, you know, this was the, the way to go. It's how really they, they uh, justified Darwinianism. They justified all kinds of uh, leaving all kinds of metaphysical statements out of philosophy. I mean, this was huge. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, William Lane Craig says this was, uh, this overthrow was the most important philosophical event of the 20th century. So pretty, Mm. pretty important. Uh, So uh, logical positivists uh, uh, puts everything in a box of the senses. Any statement that cannot be traced back to the sense impression is rejected as false. So as as, uh, Tony was saying, as uh, these these metaphysical claims, they're they're hard, they're icky. We kind of want to do away with them. So let's uh, let's uh, let's say that it's uh, not a sense impression. We can reject it. Good. Uh, Check. So logical positives uh, took this claim a step further and insisted that any statement not reducible, again, reducible to sense impressions, is not just false, but cognitively misleading. That is, not even subject to standards of true and false. So when we say... Yeah, so it's, it's, it's meaningless. It doesn't mean anything. Right. If you, you know, so if you say, you know, uh, you know, God exists, well, God is non-physical, and therefore you can't sense God, and therefore the statement doesn't have any meaning. Right. That's what they were getting at. Right. Uh, the, the character Cornswall feels, uh, you know, uh, feels soft. Uh, well, the, 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 you know, uh, or, or, or feels uh, gobbledygook. Uh, it, it, that's exactly what it is. It is gobbledygook. Uh, it, it, it doesn't, it's not even true or false. It's, it's, you're, you're, you're using terminology that, uh, that they can't even, uh, you know, I don't even understand what that means it would probably come out of them. Uh, so, so think of all the things that are non-physical, right? She gives some examples. <laughs> yeah, Sla- slavery is unjust. Well, you know, it, that, I, I can I can feel that. I can test that. It, you know, I, I know what justice feels like, and I can hold slavery in my other hand. And oh, it, here, <laughs> you know, ju- justice falls. I'm sorry, justice is heavier. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, clearly, so, justice can't be you know felt, taste, touched, heard, right, or whatever. Yeah. So, so, so even <laughs> having that conversation. Yeah, yeah. Even having that conversation, uh, you you can it, it it goes down to what he uh, what she says here is that it reduces moral statements to expressions of emotions like boo, hooray, or icky. You know, it's the icky feel. Well, slavery is just icky to me. Okay, but is it wrong? Well, I don't even know what you're talking about. So you can never have these 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 moral claims in here um, be, because they're not uh, they're not sense impressions. Uh, to view of this view of more. Morality has percolated through all levels of society. After all, it's much easier to dismiss someone's views by saying that's just a value judgment and treating it as subjective, uh, subjective pre- uh, preference instead of examining it seriously as a valid candidate for truth, um, which is, it, 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 yes, you're right. It's definitely easier. To, uh, well, you're just using, a, you know, Christianity just uses a subjective standard. You're just using a subjective God. That's not really what subjective or it's, or it's means. How you feel it, it, it? Yeah, some of this came to be known as emotivism. Right. right? Yeah. It, I I don't like or I don't feel good about yeah. uh, murder. Not that it's right or wrong. It's just I don't feel good yeah. about it. Which, which definitely like. hasn't carried over in today's uh, school of thoughts at all. So that good thing we got rid of that. Right. <laughs> Uh, so, so what happened to logical positive and when applied to itself, its central claim was the statements are meaningful only if they're empirically testable. Can, can you, can you titrate it? Can you, can you do a, a scratch test? Can you, can you hit it with a hammer? See if it's malleable. Okay. So if the statement that, uh, and anything is meaningful is only, um, is, is it, if the statement of logical positive is only meaningful, if it's empirically tested, is that, is that true? Is that statement itself uh, uh, empirically testable? Well, of course not. It's not an empirical observation that empiricalism is uh, uh, a, a uh, an entirely a statement, right? Yeah, right, entirely. Yep. Yeah. 
Uh, it is a, a metaphysical rule, an arbitrary definition of what qualifies as knowledge. Thus, when the criterion of logical positive was applied to itself, it was discredited. It stood self-condemned. It hung itself. It slit its own throat. <laughs> when applied to itself, logical positivists lost. And so uh, um, this isn't a, a mere rhetorical trick. It's a powerful tool for testing truth claims. And, and that's true because, uh, you know, what they're applying to you uh, the, the, as, as a, a, a universal statement uh, is... is it should also be uh, applicable to their own their own standard because they're saying all of this is like this. Okay, is that also what you're saying? Can that be? Can that meet the same standard? So uh, you know, I, I can universally say that there's absolutely no universal truth. Okay, well, is that statement a universal truth? No. Okay, well then you, you're you're wrong. How can you say? That? Yeah. How can you say that? Or yes, yeah, which then it 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 collapses on itself because you do have one. And so you, there are, there are ways that she's going to get through, uh, to, to say that, uh, you know, th these angelic beings came and, and we can stand above and look down upon the peons and say, ha ha, look what I found. So, uh, we'll get into that a little bit later. And really what she's trying to show here is that, uh, by pointing this self-referentially incoherent, uh, issue out is not just a rhetorical trick. It's an important philosophical way of evaluating statements and worldviews and theories. Right. 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 It's, it's not arguing over definitions where you're like, I, ah, you probably mean this word. And so you're like, haha, look, I've, I've, I've got you to reverse your position. Cause you're like, yeah, maybe I mean that word a little bit more than I mean this word. It's, it's not something like that. It's to, 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 to test itself, to, to put, put whatever they're, they're, they're saying, uh, should, should be the case under the weight of its itself. Can it stand on its own? on its own grounds. Can it explain itself? Next thing she wants us to know about is uh, she, she labels this section hitting the marks. <laughs> and uh, she says the key to identifying whether worldview commits suicide is to uncover its particular form of reductionism. So again, over and over again, throughout the book, she uses this uh, concept of reductionism to help make her arguments, right? and to show the problem with these various worldviews and theories. She says, any theory uh, that says truth claims are nothing but X, so that is a important phrase, right? Truth claims are nothing but X is susceptible to self-refutation. So any theory that says truth claims are nothing but, and then they add something there, mm -hmm. um, this is susceptible to self-refutation. So for instance, she says, uh, Karl Marx said that truth claims are nothing but, ready? rationalizations of economic interests. That's all truth claims are. Sounds right? like Marx. Yep. Yeah. Laws are created by the rich to protect their property. Religion is the opium of the people, placating the poor with false promises of a happy afterlife. Now notice, okay, Marx, what happens if we apply your rule to your own theory? So his rule says that truth claims are nothing but Rationalizations of economic interest. Is that claim nothing but a rationalization of economic interest? Right. right. If it is, if you're kicking the rest of them out, then you should kick your own out too, right? So yeah. he, uh, did he create it merely to rationalize his own economic interest, he asked? She asked us. Uh, if so, we can dismiss it as a serious truth claim because he says, you know, they those, those type of economic rationalizations of interests don't work. And so if all truth claims are like that, his must be like that too. And if none of the truth claims that are like that work, then his doesn't work either. Right. Is the issue that she's trying to right. find out. Nietzsche, she says, held that notice all human action is, here it is, driven by the will to power. Yeah. Right. All human action is driven by the will of power. Very, very so standard all, Nietzsche uh, summation. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Morality is invented by uh, the weak to give them leverage over the strong. It's kind of interesting here. Religion and morality are getting picked on, right? Mark, uh, <laughs> Mark said it's the opiate of the people. It's, it's you know, to keep people in their place, right? The strong over the weak. Uh, uh, Nietzsche says morality is invented by the weak to give them leverage over the strong. So kind of just the opposite of what uh, Marx was saying. Religion, he says, is a holy lie used to control people. But what about Nietzsche's own theory? Was it driven by his own will to power? 
So if a theory that's driven by will to power is wrong, is Nietzsche's theory driven by will to power? Right. Right. And uh, if it's if it's if that's the case, then why should um, the rest of us pay any attention to it? Right. So all human action is driven by the will to power. All right, fine. What about your human action with regard to your theory? Is it driven by will? If it is, then we can dismiss it and um, and not pay any attention to it, just like you Nietzsche wants to want to do with the rest of the theories that you evaluate. Yeah, he just wants about Sigmund Freud. Power over us. That's right. Yeah. Sigmund Freud insisted that our thoughts are shaped by unconscious emotional needs. Personality is shaped by things like early toilet training. Much of human behavior is a result of sexual repression. But what does that imply about the origin of Freud's own theory? Right? <laughs> if uh, you know, if our thoughts are shaped by unconscious emotional needs, is your thoughts, Freud, shaped the same way? Yeah. And if so, if you're criticizing the rest of the thoughts, then yours falls into that same criticism. Yeah, in, including including the thought that thoughts are shaped by unconscious uh, emotional needs. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, lastly, she talks about B.S. Skinner. Right? This is our behaviorist, right? He's the king of behavioralism. Behaviorism was really big in the mid uh, portion of the 20th century. Uh, B.F. Skinner held that humans are nothing but stimulus response mechanisms responding to rewards and punishment, right? Stimulants response, you know, you've, you've heard of the, the, uh, uh, the experiment about Pavlov's dog, yeah. right? That, that, that drooling dog. That's right. <laughs> Ringing bells and drooling, right? <laughs> and so, uh, so that's, you know, that's a behavioralist type of experiment. So humans are nothing but stimulus response mechanisms responding to rewards and punishment. <clears throat> the behavior is explainable in terms of operant conditioning like the pigeons in his experiment pecking at levers to get a pound of food. But the question we can turn back to Skinner, right? Is Skinner's theory a product of his own conditioning? If, and if, if it is, and he's saying that theories that are a product of self-conditioning are wrong, his would have to be wrong as well. And so it's self-refuting, right? And so she points out that what these philosophers all share is a refusal to take truth claims at face value. Instead, they interpret them as cover-ups uh, for hidden motives and dis uh, disguised um, self-interest, right? And so what she wants us to understand here is as a tool of critiquing uh, thinking, you know, she says a hermeneutic of suspicion can be useful. Right? In other words, we want to say, okay, what are they really saying? How does that apply to itself? We want to be suspicious of what they're saying. So a hermeneutic of suspicion can be useful to highlight common human feelings. To diagnose the ways of our thinking may be distorted by things like economic interest or psychological impulses. Scripture teaches, she uh, mentions here, that we deceive ourselves all the time about our true motives. The heart is deceitful, deceitful above all things who can understand it, too. So taken on its own terms, uh, uh, however, hermeneutic of suspicion is radically reductionistic. It simply abandons the uh, question of truth, reducing it to questions of power and desire. So these folks, not us, as I mentioned, uh, that was not correct, but these folks had a hermeneutic of suspicion. They were suspicious of all truth claims, and so they applied that suspicion to all truth claims, but they failed to apply it to their own truth yeah. claims. As a result... If when they do, when it is applied to their truth claims, their truth claims fall apart as well. Yeah, if I, indeed, what they say is true. Yeah, I, I always, I always uh, think of uh, Michael Shermer from uh, Skeptics Magazine. Uh, how you know he's Mister Skeptic. He he's he's skeptical of all these things. Well, except what's mainstream science and what you know the experts are telling him. And and it, there there's never there's never a a time where it's like okay let's 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 be skeptical and 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 turn this on on. Um, on its own head, Let, let's, let's start questioning, uh, uh, Bigfoot and, and, uh, you know, uh, the, those who respond to Bigfoot or, uh, you know, Darwinism or, you know, whatever it might be. It doesn't seem like when, when you're skeptical, you're not quite skeptical enough as the tagline for Mitch Stokes books would say. That's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, we're, we're trying to debunk the debunkers. Uh, Romans one approach explains why the argument works because idol based worldviews are reductionists. Uh, by, define, uh, by defining 
defying something lower than the biblical God, they also recast humans in the image of something lower because uh, we're uh, made in the image of God. By reducing God, they reduce uh, humans as well. The process of reductionism includes human cognitive faculties like reason, logic, rationality. It reduces human rationality to some non-rational force or process. Yet once you make a theory that claims that ideas are not the product of rational thought, that claim must be applied to all ideas, including the theory itself. And that's really, really important to understand. So if you're making if you're making a, uh, a rational uh, uh, truth claim, then you have to apply that uh, to the theory itself. Good. Yeah. So, and when we do, uh, what, what she finds here is that they're self-refuting. Right. So uh, that's what they should be doing to, to even their own theories uh, and that they would do the, if they were being consistent. Except they exempt themselves from their critique all the time. Uh, because they don't want to be discredited, they act. Yeah, so that's the that's the issue here, right? Right. So they only apply this to other people's theories, and they fail. They exempt themselves as if they have a God's, uh, you know, eye view of what's really <laughs> right. going on, and they're the only ones that know, right? And so they exempt themselves. No, you can't do that. You have to, you know, uh, put your theory on the block as well and examine it to make sure that it can, uh, you know, meet your objections. Right. Uh, so this is uh, pretty much elitism through and through. Uh, yeah. uh, people like Marx who want to talk about this class conflict, well, he himself is not subject to class conflict, right? Because uh, <laughs> he's, he's not trying to control control the masses through through economic means, of course not. He's trying to rise up everyone against that to, to uh, lead into a socialist nation and then ultimately to a utopian of, of communism. Uh, so he's able to mysteriously rise above forces that enslave everyone else. They alone are capable of achieving the unattained, untainted insight into reality. So uh, this, Ooh, this, this, wow. this, this, uh, this godlike perspective, which you're looking <laughs> down upon creation, and you're like, mm, yes, here's where, here's where the sin of of economics has has uh, uh, led humans astray. And I know this, and I will reveal this through communicative needs in a book. And uh, um, inspire other people to follow after me. Boy, I, I wonder what that sounds like. <laughs> uh, but of course, uh, by carving out an exception for themselves, they have introduced a logical inconsistency in their system. They have stated that there is one thing, namely their own thinking, that their system does not cover. And so uh, th th this is, uh, they don't see the exception to the rule in, in math, science, logic. Uh, so this isn't uh, tr true uh, uh, scientific. And if there's one, well, why not more? And, 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 you know, why does their theory is the only one? Right. Yeah. There's there very... could only be one and it's mine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By contrast, the Christian worldview is not reductionist. It does not reduce reason to something less than reason. Therefore it is not self, it does not self-destruct. Christian epistemology, the, the, the theory of knowledge starts with the transcendent creator who spoke the entire universe into being with his word. And, uh, this this word uh, is also reason and rationality, uh, the underlying principles that unifies the world into an orderly cosmos as opposed to randomness and chaos. So, so God created with order. Uh, how did He do so? By reason, logic, mathematics. Um, uh, this is how He sustains uh, the world. It's how He thinks. Uh, and so, when when we um, put everything in the right order, uh, everything glorifies Him as as pointing to Him, as as Paul says in Romans one. Um, and, uh, we're, we're able to kind of, uh, stay on the train track to, to, you know, the, the train track isn't this, you know, uh, depressing rules, uh, rules-based system. Uh, but it's, you know, uh, why you don't lick doorposts because, uh, by licking doorposts, you get sick. And so, you know, that's, it's not a, uh, uh, a, a terrible thing to tell people not to lick door, uh, doorknobs. So. By the way, what would happen to the train if it if it got off the train track? Right, so it, it wouldn't. It, it either wouldn't move or it would destroy itself because it's you know yeah. it's, it's barreling down. Yeah. Um, and so that's it, also a good point because because people are still moving. They're still um, they're still utilizing um, uh, this this cognitive distance, and they're 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 still coming up with conclusions. And what do they have to do in order to to um, continue to uh, figure out things. Well, it's to assume order. It's, it's, it's going back to, to what we first started. It's to assume 
not this biology is, is randomness, but that there's a structure, that there's an engineering uh, based system to that. And, um, and w- we definitely see that uh, within um, our discoveries of DNA and how, um, how it's not just, uh, you know, a, um, a placeholder for, you know, whatever um, biological need it's, it's actually information. It's, 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 it's mm-hmm. pretty amazing of, of, of the discoveries that DNA has, has shown um, that, that, um, that uh, structure and order and information, which information is a communicative tool. And DNA seems to be this only time where, where information isn't, isn't, um, it, it doesn't originate from, from anything that's, uh, that, that's, that's uh, an intelligence. So. Or as they give it an exception. Right. Yeah. yeah right. So they've, they've, they've reduced DNA to, to what, what it only appears like. So all, that, all, right? all, all information comes from intelligence except right. DNA, right. Right. <laughs> the structure of DNA. No, that couldn't be. Right. right. So the biblical view has two crucial, crucial implications. First, the intelligible order of the universe reflects the mind of the creator. And second, because God created humans in his image, our minds co- correspond uh, with that order as well. There is congruence between the structure of the world and the structure of human cognition. How do we know things? Because God has made us uh, such that uh, we can be like him in this certain way. And uh, we can we can know things about the world in which we also um, operate ourselves in. Uh, so God has created both us and the world in such a way that there's a certain fit or match between the world and our cognitive faculties. Uh uh, the, the fall, though, has uh, darkened or distorted this. However, we still retain the image of God. And so throughout history, the Bible has inspired confidence in the essential re- reliability of human cognitive faculties. So, uh, what, you know, why do we have uh, wrong theories and ideas? Uh, be, because um, uh, this distortion of truth because of the fall. Uh, but we're still able to know things because we're not completely uh, de- depraved in, in our own um in 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 uh, being reflective of of uh, of the Creator, uh, biblical epistemology is backed up as, uh, experientially by general revelation. To function from day to day, humans have to assume that we do that we do have uh, a great many things that the material. Yes, world... you notice she she says here in order to function, right? In order to exist yeah. in the world, to continue we have to on, make some exception, yeah, right, yeah, of right. some assumptions here, right? yeah. Uh, uh, the, the material world is and real. She gives us a list of about six or seven assumptions that we have to make right. in order to function in the world. Right. Mm-hmm. So the material world is real. The chair I'm sitting in uh, on will hold me up or that there's even a chair that the universe works by cause and effect. If I drop this book, uh, then it'll fall, uh, that our memories are basically reliable. Uh, uh, what did I eat for lunch today? I know. Uh, nothing, uh, that other people have minds, even though I cannot uh, directly see them, and that laws of logic are valid to discredit logic, I have to argue using logic. In our daily mm-hmm. actions, we have to assume the basic reliability of human cognition, uh, and all these are, are metaphysical claims, and and um, this uh, what... Um, what, uh, what the logical positives would say doesn't exist. Right, for right, new. right. Uh, but then you have people uh, like um, uh, Mises, uh, Ludwig von Mises, who uh, had this uh, this praxeology, the study of of human action that that humans do act, and uh, there's kind of that um, that uh, determination from a donkey of uh, he's you know he's fifty feet away from. Uh, two barrels of water, and so which one does he do? Well, he's equal distance away, and so he he can't choose, right? He, there's there's no way for the donkey to move, and so uh, he's just unable to to move, and so he dies of of thirst. Well, no, uh, we're, or, or we're the eight. monkeys, or the monkey who puts his hand in the thing and is long, and grabs well, I don't know what he grabs nuts, I guess, and he has them in his fist, but now he can't get his hand back <laughs> right. out of it. And so he doesn't want to let him go because he wants the nuts, but he can't get his hand out because his fists, you know, is clogging up the way to get him out. And so he has a serious problem. Right. Uh, So we have to function as if humans have all these things in order to go. Uh, You know, I I don't believe that there's any other minds that I that I existed uh, five five minutes before we we just started this this podcast. I'm going to write a book about this. To who? Who am I writing this book to? Nobody. Right. (laughs) And I'm not even sure once I finished that book that it, that it wasn't five minutes that I just came about this this solipsism issue. No, you 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 don't you don't argue that way. You don't function that way. Uh, but uh, but they always, the the reductionists always want to, uh, to carve out um, um, 
these, these different facts for themselves. So anything we must assume in order to function in the world is part of general revelation, which we all have access to. It's not just, oh, uh, you know, only believers can, uh, only Christians can, can operate morally. No, there's general revelation, which, which um, points you to a biblical Christian God because you can say, this is wrong or this is right. Or, um, you know, I, I've, I have an icky feeling towards this. And that's, that's wrong to have that icky feeling. You don't want icky feelings, right? So there's that. So all, the, all these signposts point to the biblical God. The upshot is that all worldviews have to borrow the Christian epistemology, Christian worldview, in order that, uh, at least at the moment they are making their claims, they must tactically, uh, tacitly assume the reliability of reason and rationality, which only a biblical worldview supports. They have to function as if Christianity is true, even as they reject it. And I think she goes into this great point of, of uh, C.S. Lewis, who, um, who I think put, puts a, 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 a huge tack in, in making this point. Makes a point. In fact, that's, that's what's coming next, C.S. Lewis's unmasked materialism. I think we've been going on a little while here. Yeah. Maybe we should have a break here and pick this up next time and, and, uh, and continue. Right. What do you think? Uh, so, uh, as, as far as this goes, uh, this is, uh, episode, uh, 71, uh, next one will be 72 and, uh, we'll hopefully have a few more things here and, uh, and there in between, um, just to point you at a few places, um, uh, go to, uh, cave of the cross, uh, apologetics, uh, com. Uh, there's all our links for, um, how to find our different, um, social medias, uh, Facebook and Twitter. I've been posting uh, uh, daily deals for uh, good Kindle book deals uh, with the caveat that uh, not everything there is, of course, a recommendation, but, uh, but man, you get some really good deals from, from us. So, and it helps support the show. Uh, and also we're on Patreon. Yeah, it will at least make you think these, these books will at least make you think. Yeah. And in fact, they're, um, you know, I'm not just putting forth ones that I think um, uh, uh, fit to my worldview too. Um, there are, there are, um, uh, evolutionary uh, uh, Christians in there too that that uh, write really good books that I think uh, that you have to contend with that make really good points and, and make you think. Um, uh, but uh, it's definitely I try I try and at least uh, um, I, th- you know there's not going to be a Joyce Myers book in there or, or, or anything <laughs> like that. Uh, Sorry, Joyce. Yeah, no, I'm not. I I've had to read a book for for Lauren for for uh, our our Patreon. So we're also on Patreon. If you want to go there, patreon.com slash cave of the cross. And there we have the three tiers for, uh, for how to support us if you want and get extra content. Uh, but, uh, her and I read a Joyce Myers book that, uh, man, that w- that was draining. Whew, man, that was, that was rough. So if you want to see me suffer, uh, that video will be posted in our third tier. So, um, so, uh, that, that's all I can think of. Cavesacross.com slash, uh, EP 71. What, uh, if you ever want to, uh, go back to our, our previous ones, like, uh, our, our interview with, um, uh, professor Piercy, uh, that's, uh, episode 69. So give the cross.com slash, uh, EP 69, whatever, uh, number of, of episode we're on. That's where you can find the video, the audio, the links to books, anything like that. So, uh, yeah, thanks for joining us. Thanks for, um, kind of uh, b- being with us during uh, the, the 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 cootie times, the the time of darkness, and uh, we'll probably be back doing the same thing again. So, thank you. See, see, see you next time. <laughs>